Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. and welcome to Oh What A Time, the history podcast that tries to decide if the past was as awful as it seems. I'm Tom Crane. I'm Chris Skull. And I'm Ennis James. Each week we'll be looking at a new historical subject. And today we're going to be discussing life at sea. Arr. Very good. <laughs> 18th century Welsh pirates. <laughs> the toilet habits of seafaring Vikings and the mutiny on the bounty. It is all here. But shall we kick off the little bit of correspondence? Now... One thing that regular listeners will know is that every week we nag you to leave us a five-star review because we're needy and we need the uh, the backslapping. Is that the right phrase? Well, Tom, Tom, Tom is needy, I'm damaged. <laughs> and also, it helps spread the word. It's very, very useful. Yeah, and, that's what and, we say, but I'm actually very damaged. Yes, OK, right. But I'll tell you who did listen to those messages, did, did fine work, is a lady called Sal, who lives in, in North Wales. I'm going to read you out two emails from Sal, because it's, it's a real story. It's, it's, it's quite heartwarming. The first email said, Dear lads, what a brilliant podcast. I don't know oh. how to leave a five-star review on the podcast. I mean, I've searched high and low, too, worried face. So I thought, bugger it, I'll just email. And then, <laughs> half an hour later, second email, Dear lads, it's me again. I've just worked out how to leave a five-star review. <laughs> Big smiley face. Keep up the good work, Sal from North Wales. Sal, you absolute legend. Thank you so much for pushing on. (laughs) And keeping us abreast of the whole thing. We've also had, lads, our first clarification of the series. Excited about this? I feel like the teacher just gone. teacher just said to us, see me after class. It was always going to happen. Oh, boy. What have I done? But the important thing is that we are transparent throughout this process. And that is that ancient Rome should actually be called really old Rome. I don't know that. That's That's what historians call it. Really, really old old Rome. Rome. I knew it. I knew it. Done it again. Embarrassed ourselves. No. uh, This is about fashion. And a chap called Paul has messaged the show to say that when he went to Morocco, he was told that the fez tassel now i don't know if you remember this we discussed how we couldn't work out how the fez had any use as a hat offering any sun protection or anything yeah he has told us that he thinks this is what he's been told that the fez tassel was designed to keep flies away from the wearer's face there you go that's what he thinks that's what he's been told when he went to morocco that's the actual reason for the tassels paul we need to see your qualifications (laughs) your qualifications according to your email are that you've been to morocco on holiday Yeah, Paul, would you mind just sending us your CV? (laughs) That would be ideal. And if you really love this podcast, you'll do it. I I did actually do a bit of uh, Googling to find out if Paul was correct. I couldn't find anyone who was backing up this argument. I did find one thing I found was quite interesting, that apparently, um, we didn't talk about this, but apparently how the fez tassel was worn denoted people's attitude back in the day. So the favoured tassel was to the back of the hat down the neck. But if you were antisocial or a roughneck, you'd wear it to the front to show your rebellion. How can the tassel kind of waft away flies? Because the tassel doesn't go down the f- beyond the bottom of the fez. It kind of Chris, tucks in halfway Paul's up the fez. Paul's lost it. 
Paul, yeah. mate. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> just so, uh, just so listeners know where they are with the podcast. If they email in the future, should they be expected to be roasted quite so badly as this? <laughs> is this the is this the vibe? Yeah, sorry, Paul. Thank you very much for your correspondence, and I've got, I've got a great deal of respect uh, for you as a listener and for um, all of the lifestyle choices you've made. I don't know what they are, but I'm I'm sure they're absolute belters. Now, if any of you other wonderful listeners would like to be humiliated on a podcast, here's how you <laughs> here's how you can email the show. All right, you horrible lot. Here's how you can stay in touch with the show. You can email us at hello at ohwhatatime.com and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ohwhatatimepod. Now, clear off. So what are we talking about on today's show? Today, I am going to be talking about the Vikings and their incredible boats i'll be talking about the mutiny on the bounty because i'm obsessed with the film and i'll be discussing welsh pirates because we are world class at producing pirates we certainly were uh, many hundreds of years ago i thought we'd begin this episode with a little excerpt from uh, a 1956 book by eric newby called the last grain race on his experiences as a young sailor at this height 130 feet up In a wind blowing 70 miles an hour, the noise was an unearthly scream. The high whistle of the wind through the halyards and above all the pale blue illimitable sky, cold and serene, made me deeply afraid and conscious of my insignificance. As time passed, the ship possessed us completely. Our lives were given over to it. A hundred times a day, each one of us looked aloft at the towering pyramids of canvas, the beautiful deep curves of the leeches of the sails and the straining sheets of the great courses. Listen to the deep hum of the wind up the height of the rigging, the thud and judder of the steering gear as the ship surged along. Heard the helmsman striking the bells, signalling a change of watch or a mealtime, establishing a routine so strong that the outside world seemed unreal. Yes, this week we're talking about life at sea. And I would like to begin with, you know, that expression, worst things happen at sea. Yeah. I actually yeah. think that is the most accurate expression ever at, said. At no point, if that was my day, would I not be thinking I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I should have gone into data entry. A nice, really safe office job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You know what? Dolly Parton sang nine to five and and I almost bemoaning it. What a luxurious existence yeah. compared to a life at sea. I think the sea is possibly the most overrated destination on earth. Whenever I'm on holiday and there's a choice between beach or pool, I never pick beach. It the when you get close to the sea and the seaweed and the stench and then you get out there and the jellyfish I can't th- I hate the sea. I love looking at the sea, but I also have an unbelievable fear of the sea now there's a couple of things um sort of ground me in this first of all my grandfather who was a the uh, captain for the merchant navy in world war ii was um torpedoed uh, in world war ii uh, and went down he died um bit of confusion oh, in primary school in that i used to go around telling everyone he'd been harpooned which was <laughs> quite a different story 
my mum was always having to correct me. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. So today's episode, we're talking about this, a life at sea. That's what we're, we're talking about. It feels early doors, like we might not be the people that are best suited to this. <laughs> but I think we are, because, because of my hatred for the sea, I've always been fascinated by terrible stories of stuff that happened at sea. Yeah. And I've always... I, I once went on... Uh, I got the ferry to Santander once on a, on a holiday. And I and it was really rainy on the deck. And I was running around chasing my brother and I slipped. And I just... And I hit the edge of the boat. Like, I was, ne- I was never close to going overboard. But in that moment, like, it really struck me. I, that was 300 years ago. And I went overboard. You've got no chance. Of course. Absolutely zero chance of pulling through that. No. Yeah, yeah, You'd yeah. land in the sea and you'd think to yourself... Someone needs to invent the course guard now. <laughs> It'd be annoying that you, 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 you a, came up with the idea as you hit, you go, why did I come up with this earlier? As a, as a matter of urgency, someone needs to invent the thing I've just, I've just imagined. But also the, the other astonishing thing is that a lot of the time they didn't bother to go back and try and save you. Really? No, yeah. that, that, I've got a real issue with that. <laughs> I, 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 I would be lying there, tread, stand, you know, in the water, floating as mm. best as I could, treading water as best as I could, just thinking to myself, this shows a lack of empathy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if everyone on that boat over there, currently sailing away from me, could put themselves in my position, I would really, really appreciate that. Because, I've got to be honest, I'm frightened now and I'm cold. <laughs> And I can only see the situation getting worse. (laughs) Also, like, it's a bit like, I thought it's a bit like being sucked out into outer space. But the benefit there is you die instantly, like your head explodes, whatever. (laughs) In the sea, you've got the ability to keep your... Just the yeah. head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so the, hel- the helmet the stops head. working when you're stuck. Okay, right, okay, fine, yeah, okay. Yeah. I haven't researched what happens okay. in outer space. Yeah, yeah. But in the sea, you've got the ability to keep yourself alive for yeah. potentially days. Yeah, yeah. There's food swimming around you for a start. Yeah, delicious. <laughs> you're quick Delicious cod. <laughs> so, a delicious cod floats past you, and then some delicious batter, and then a delicious fryer, and then a delicious plate, knife and fork, salt, vinegar, and cod. Tomorrow, catch ya. We're looking at life at sea this week, um, so I thought I'd choose pirates and piracy because there's a slightly odd quirk about uh, piracy in that a lot of very world class pirates happen to be from very near where I grew up. Um, yeah, Wales, Wales is very good at producing some world-class wingers, Uriah Giggses, your Gareth Bales, uh, and pirates. So three of the characters from Robert Louis Stevenson's novel Treasure Island were based on the Welsh pirates Harry Morgan, who grew up in Llanrymny, Black Bart, Barty the as he was known in in, uh, in Welsh, John Roberts, who was from Pembrokeshire, and Hall Davis, who was also from Fishguard, well, well, well. Uh, which uh, uh, which is also in Pembrokeshire. <coughs> do the, so the, do the, gold... does the um, do the films Pirates of the Caribbean sort of bite a little bit? Should be Pirates of Newport. I I think there's room for Welsh actors. <laughs> <laughs> it annoys me that they went for the big Hollywood names. So the, the the golden age of piracy is the 1650s to 1730s. Um, and, yeah, we, we produced an awful lot of top pirates. And, and the interesting thing, I think, with pirates is that they came from all sections of society. So you might be a landowner's son, but if you weren't the firstborn and you didn't inherit your old man's fortune, 
Um, or if you were a farmhand, you just thought, well, it's, it's probably better to be a pirate than to do this. This is, this is rubbish. So the one I'm really interested in is a guy called um, uh, John Roberts, Bartholomew Roberts, known as Barty the Black Bart. And, he, I mean, he was, he was a world-class pirate who stole a lot of ships and stole a lot of stuff. But he's quite a curious bloke because he only drank tea. He was an abstainer. Um, he was a Sabbatarian, so he didn't like stuff to happen on a Sunday. And he'd... <laughs> That's a, it's the weird thing I was just thinking about pirates is like having rules because by your, your very essence, of rules. you are you are lawless. There should be no rules. Yeah. To, so to create he allowed, rules, yeah, he, he allowed no women aboard his ships. Um, any man who brought a woman on board disguised as a man, <laughs> that was that was punishable by death. He allowed no gambling. He was a pirate who didn't like gambling, so he weren't allowed to gamble at cards or at dice. Right. That couldn't be played for money. He strongly disapproved of that. He had musicians on board, and they were... they. So every pirate on his ship had the right to demand a tune at any hour of the tour. <laughs> it's like early Spotify. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apart from Sundays, yeah. when Spotify was turned off. That's probably more like Napster if yeah. it's pirating it. Yeah. There you go. Very nice. So, so, what, he, so you, he, could, you could just go up, to the, go up to them and say, I want to hear, what would it be? Um, yeah, yeah, Murder on the Dance Floor by Sophie yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Get lucky by Daft Punk. Yeah, yeah. And then they would they'd have to get the violins out and, and yeah. approximate it as best as they could. Yeah. Um, and he, he really looked the part as well when he was dressed for action. So he had um, he was a, a tall, very dark. He used to wear a rich damask waistcoat and breeches, a red feather in his cap, a gold chain round his neck with a large diamond cross dangling from it, a sword in his hand, and he had two pairs of pistols hanging at the end of a silk a sling that was flung over his shoulder. He kind of looked like a cartoon pirate, <laughs> but, he, but he was a, but he was a Welsh bloke who used to run chapel services on a Sunday. <laughs> So, do you think that a lot of this is a lot of this? I guess is about controlling his crew, isn't it? Really, that's what it is. It's about trying to feeling that your crew is going to be unruly and trying to. I imagine that's where it's where it's stemming from, isn't it? Trying to create some kind of structure and organisation where you fear it sort of imploding and mutiny. And they stuff. were pissed all the time. Exactly, yeah. Because um, it was impossible to take uh, large supplies of water on board with you. So you would drink, you would drink rum. I mean, that's that's a sort of cliche that that's born out of real life. I found a list of uh, Martin Frobisher's second voyage to North America in 1577. There was a list of all the food that was prepared that the men could have per day. Do you want to hear it? Each day you would get one pound of biscuit, one gallon of beer per man per day, one pound of salt beef, oatmeal and rice, uh, a a pound of butter and a half pound of cheese per man per day, honey, a hogshead of cooking oil, uh, and a pipe of vinegar. Well, it's I think like, the, the um, on the vinegar. It's but like it, a really it, mad it, bag on Ready Steady Cook, isn't it? You've... <laughs> <laughs> See what you can do with that. A gallon of beer is a bit much. I'm not sure I need that, Ainsley, but... Um, yeah. I'd say that. Um, <laughs> a day. Th- that list is like... Sh- I mean, how is, not, how is everyone not constipated they used the to eat a, They used to eat a lot of fermented vegetables and things. Because the problem is, if you're going on... If you're, if you're on a ship for months and months it's impossible to keep anything fresh everything would go mouldy yeah so you'd have lots of cured meat biscuits biscuits was a staple diet um and then yeah and fermented stuff if you could get hold of it 
but it's it's not it's not an ideal way to live. The, 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 the reason that the pirate diet doesn't exist is because it was a it was a very very bad diet. <laughs> Imagine you go when, around when, someone's house. Yeah. They've got a gallon of beer there, yeah. a pound of salt beef, yeah. and a pound of biscuit. What's, what are you eating here? That's, oh, it's the pirate diet. Yeah, not hurt. Gwyneth Paltrow looks rough these days, doesn't she? Yeah, she's uh, pioneered the pirate diet. She's got awful scurvy. She, she's ill a lot. So, it's, it's quite cool she's wearing an eye patch these days. What, 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 is it a pound of meat? Is that what it was? A pound of salt beef. I suppose they're doing quite hard work, aren't they? Yeah. Like, they, you know, so you, we're thinking about the amount of calories that we burn in yeah. modern life. That's where, top podcasters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where we walk to the shop to post a letter or something. <laughs> but they, they're battling the elements. They're sort of pulling yeah. ropes. They're doing, you know, so they're clearly burning it. So maybe it's not for me to judge. I don't want to body shame a pirate. No. <laughs> Did you did you come back from being a pirate and did people go, Whoa, you look great. Have you been away? Or did they go, or did they go bloody hell? That's why they grew those massive beards, Ellis, to yeah. hide how much weight they put on. <laughs> so so this, this so this guy, he's he's running a strict ship then, Ellis. Um this guy. Yeah, I just think I just think it's really funny because What's his name again? Um Bartholomew Roberts, Black Bart. Because he'd grown up in a very religious place, and he sort of took that with him, and I think he did have. So he he had a, a, a sort of a normal legal job, um, and then the ship was captured, and he was initially a reluctant pirate, but he it was captured. The ship was captured by another Welsh pirate who was from down the road in Pembrokeshire, and they spoke Welsh to each other. And he persuaded him, basically, to become a pirate. And Bartholomew Roberts is said to have been reluctant initially, but quickly came to see the advantages of this new lifestyle. <laughs> and so it was a great opportunity. So someone said that, um, someone reported him as saying, in an honest service, there is thin commons, low wages and hard labour. In this, plenty and satiety, pleasure and ease, liberty and power. And who would not balance creditor on this side when all the hazard that is run for it, at worst, is only a sour look or two at choking? No, a merry life and a short one shall be my motto. So he, he was like, uh, listen, I like can... Freddie I, Mercury. Yeah, he was like, I can... I, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I can either get my head down and work and probably die at 51, having had quite a shit life, or I can die at 37, having had a really, really exciting life. I'll just have my sort of... You know, stomach blown off by a cannonball, and, yeah. and that I will cross that bridge when I come to it. So he he opted for a short life full of excitement. So they would have become quite wealthy then. Obviously, this is there was a lot of money. I'm not sure. the The interesting thing is, it's not you. You imagine that it's sort of gold that they were stealing and treasure, whereas often they were stealing things like grain and molasses. Right. Which is a slightly less sexy version of being a pirate, isn't it? It's like, God, I'm a great pirate. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what, what have you been stealing? Loads of grain on the, on the way to Portugal. When kids are playing pirates, you never hear that in a playground. <laughs> Hand over your molasses. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to talk about probably the most famous 18th century merchant ship of them all. Are you familiar with HMS Bounty? Yes. Ellis, you'll know. Yeah. 
You see, I mean, the film. Yeah, yeah. The the bounty. You, you didn't know about it, Tom. I, I don't understand because this, for me, is the classic story of being at sea. Wasn't it? It was two two small two small ships full of coconuts. Yeah, two, right. two small boats. Yeah. <laughs> And the, the, yeah, the, 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 the coconut main on the inside, chocolate on the outside. The main cargo was coconut. <laughs> coconut, yeah, yeah. The, the, the dark chocolate one, that was slightly less popular it than was, the milk yeah, chocolate. Was... Yeah. People were going, oh, it's the dark. As it pulled into port, there'd be a sort of an audible groan. <laughs> For God's sake. <laughs> Can't be bothered with that. Yes, I do. I won't give, give you the full story. The yeah. bounty was a Royal Navy vessel, 1787, sailed to Tahiti. They were collecting fr- breadfruit plants to take them to the West Indies. But what they did is on the, the boat, they converted most of it into a big greenhouse. So the ship was really overcrowded. And then in this kind of 1787, you're going to have crap food on the boats, low pay, high risk of dying. And then you've got Will, William Bly, the captain, uh, uh, lieutenant, who's really strict, having a go at the crew the whole time, including famously making them listen to music and have enforced kind of dancing sessions for exercise purposes. Oh and anyway, it, it takes them a year to get to Tahiti, is the headlines. They try to go around Cape Horn, they fail. They eventually get to Tahiti. They're there in Tahiti for five months. Tahiti is paradise. It is packed full of Polynesian women. Almost a limitless supply of food and drink. They're basically on a lad's holiday for five months. 18 of the crew get treated for venereal infections Wow! when they get there, having had, having had none by the time when they first arrived, according to the ship's doctor. I also imagine that the treatment was fairly old school. <laughs> Rub this coral on it. Yeah. That barnacle, all the way up. <laughs> OK. So, but, so they're on the Tahiti for five for five months, and then they, it's yeah. time to go home. They're, they're at sea three weeks on the way home. They're all falling out of each other. William Bly's a bit like really strict, and the, famously, the crew decides to mutiny. And but the thing that's really struck me about the, the mutiny on the bounty is that why didn't this happen all the time? What they're in paradise, Tahiti. But I just, this is the, the funny thing about that I really learned about life at sea is that. This is why you have these ranks and these strict rules. Is that there's so so much of the life at sea is to constrain the individual so they don't try and mutiny. So this is why the mutiny on the bounty I think sticks out is because a crew said I don't want I don't want this life I don't want to go back to rainy London. Thank you very much. But well, it's amazing that didn't happen all the time. And I'm not sure myself as an individual if I was on that ship, I'm not convinced that I wouldn't mutiny as well. Because how how is that not better? It's a bit similar to the life of a pirate. Yeah. But then I suppose there'd be such a fear that if you did risk mutiny and it went wrong, you're going to be killed. Which, <laughs> which is, is quite a pretty sort much of thing to yeah. have hanging in the back of your mind as a, as a possible. You're not going to have to just go to HR and have a chat. That's my issue. They're I gonna think chop what your I would off. do, I'd ensure I had loads of holiday photos. <laughs> yeah. And I'd accepted that the good times were over and yeah. now I've got to go back to London. <laughs> And I'd say things yeah. like, there's no place like home over and over. <laughs> <laughs> Until I actually believed it. Yeah, it's nice to go away, but it's even nicer to come back. Yeah, yeah. Can we, <laughs> can we quickly backtrack to the enforced dancing lessons as well? So what yeah. was that? How does that work? He would, he would play music and in, the crew would be forced to dance. Yeah. They would be forced to dance the music, which when the good times were good, by all accounts, the first part of the journey was good and everybody was dancing. They're loving it. But on the way back, when the atmosphere was really sour... Yeah. Less good. And when they got to the final six, they sailed back to Blackpool. Is that right? For the uh, the final. 
<laughs> I didn't. You'd think that if they're doing it for exercise, that being on a pirate ship is exercise enough. Yeah, absolutely. Forcing someone to dance is the highest form of bullying, really. Yes, isn't it? I, I agree with that. Yeah, like yeah. Back to the Future Three, Biff makes Marty McFly dance because it's humiliating. Isn't it? Dance, and you know as well, making someone who doesn't want to dance dance. <laughs> it's like it's, it's different to like if you were friends. If you were like school friends with a really good dancer who's gone on to dance in the West End and that's their job, then at a wedding saying, go on, Mark, show us what you can do. That is different to what Marty McFly is made to do by Biff, isn't it? I guarantee you also about uh, twice in every journey there would have been someone who'd done, for a laugh, a bit of a jig down the plank and then just fallen in. <laughs> <laughs> and that would have been me. Or fallen down that trapdoor bit that goes down to the, the, bo- the, the yep. second section of the boat. That would also have been me. Because they, were, because they were often drunk yeah. because it was difficult to take supplies of fresh water. They were often asked to be dipped in the sea just to have a wash. Because there's no, you know, if you were a, if, if you were a high ranking, there might be a, a, a place for you to have a wash. But if you weren't, then... Wow. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were really dirty How do you dip guys. a man in the sea? Yeah, uh, this 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 How has to be explained to me. Right? <laughs> like on a long net. What is what's going on? Is it? Are you? Yeah, it's a trust exercise. <laughs> it's, a, it's a work-based trust exercise. <laughs> I have, I've done some reading uh, about history much further back. I've read about the Vikings. That's what I've been reading about this week. Would you like to hear about the Vikings? Yes, please. And what life was like at sea as a Viking. So, um, to sort of give some uh, basic uh, scope to the Vikings for people who don't know much about them, uh, the Vikings were sort of seafaring raiders and traders from Scandinavia. And sort of the Viking Age is considered to be AD 700 to about 1100. That's kind of what people think. Uh, and they basically travelled far from Scandinavia and sort of conquered parts of France, Normandy, Mediterranean, even made it as far as the Americas at a point when no one else really in Europe was doing that. No one else was braving going across the oceans like that. And the main reason for this is to the success of their prize invention, which was the ship called the Longship, which would be a ship you, you guys will have seen. It's like the classic Viking ship. It's sort of like really thin... Yeah, um, it's the one that yeah. if a thousand years ago our ancestors saw coming at them on the sea, you'd shit yourself. Yeah, that's it's exactly. This, it's yeah, the yeah. shit yourself ship. <laughs> well, it's been a nice life, Mary. Yeah, you know, I've heard of these. Yeah, this is going to end badly. <laughs> but what I did not never understood about the Vikings is that obviously violent people when they when they arrived at these shores, you know, yeah, murdered, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. But. How did they pull off the element of surprise? Because surely it's like they're over, coming over the horizon in a shit yourself boat. That's yeah. not a thing that happens in five minutes. <laughs> how is it, how are they getting to that? Because you would be, I would run. Well, the is thing about the, the long ship is it had, um, it, it's very shallow. So it had the ability to go into the channels and kind of it could sneak into to coves and oh, stuff. And they could also amazingly they can move it across land as well by putting it on logs and they cover the logs in fish guts. It's still very pleasant. Oh, and then they'd roll it so they could move it into rivers and all this sort of stuff. It's a very manoeuvrable boat. 
So they, they could sneak in, you know, uh, had a real ability to, to get into inlets in a way that other, other uh, sort of boats oh at the time God. couldn't do. So it actually was quite a stealthy little thing. Ah. Um, so I thought we could talk about what life is like on a longboat, because um, I think none of us would particularly uh, fare well with it. So I'll, I'll, I'll take you through some of the it. things. Okay, first of all, so the longboat, it had, it had a, a large sort of square wool sail that it used most of the time. And if it wasn't windy they'd have to row it okay so they had 70 vikings on a boat and then they'd split half and half so either you'd be rowing or you'd be resting and if you were rowing your rowing stints would last for 12 to 18 hours (laughs) fucking hell so how you feel about that even steve redgrave is going to struggle with that (laughs) yeah 12 to 18 hours I, I don't know. I don't know the exact science behind this, but I'm pretty sure both of my arms would pop off. <laughs> they would come off at the shoulders like a sort of plastic toy after about sort of thirty. Like an minutes. action man. Yeah, an action man. Exactly. Yeah. A discarded I mean, action man on a railway siding. I mean, I, I went. Claire and I, our first ever date was uh, we went on a. This is so cliché. We went on a rowing boat in Victoria Park across a pond there. Yeah. And for eighteen um, hours. For eighteen hours. <laughs> Exactly, yeah, exhausted. I thought, if we can get through this... And then came um, ashore and looted the locals and... Yeah. What, what a bonding experience, to be honest. Um, but the guy yelled at me from the start. I didn't realise... I was rowing the boat backwards, if that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah, that. that's what you I was, No, no, I wasn't. I was, I was facing the way that I was going, oh, oh, which is wrong. Right, right. right. You're supposed to go backwards yeah. and row. Yes, yeah, I think that's... <laughs> Right. It was so moronic. And there were like children going past doing it correctly and there was a guy yelling at me across a lake. So even of that three minute snapshot of what it's like to be rowing, I, I hated it. And I think eighteen all, hours is gonna be only seventeen hours fifty seven minutes to go <laughs> before you get your rest. Well, I mean uh, talking of rest, you, you would you'd have to sleep sat up there was no space because basically these these, yeah. these boats were so expensive that they crammed as many men as they possibly could onto them to make them financially viable there was just like no room whatsoever there was also there was no um shelter whatsoever there was no yeah. cabin there was no cover there was nothing so you're constantly under the, the the sun or the rain you're just getting battered by the elements consistently no cabin or cover no cabin or cover. Occasionally, they would bring down the sail when they're in port to, sort of, to cover under it. But and when you're out from rowing, Norway, yeah, <laughs> and they're going to Greenland, a place like this as well, yeah, which or more Ireland. Extreme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually, um, I went to, in Norway. I saw a Viking longship. There's a Viking museum in Norway, in Oslo, yeah. I think it was, and I saw one. And exactly that point, there was no, there's nowhere for you to relax, which yeah. is interesting when you could say that 18 hour thing because. When what you do it in the six hours, you just sat in the same seat, but you're not rowing. Yeah, you yeah. Even... When you're trying to sleep, you're trying to sleep. Oh man, it's like trying to sleep on a plane is horrific, isn't it? Yeah, I can't right, do in it. economy, can't do it. And like trying the the long ship must be even worse. Yeah, yeah. It was very hard for the drinks trolley to get down it as well. That's, that's, <laughs> that was classically one of the, the problems well, with. I flew back from New Zealand, and. I was delayed in transit at every point, and yeah. so I was delayed leaving. I was delayed in Sydney. I was delayed in Singapore, wherever it was we were changing. So I'd I'd been in the air or on the plane for thirty six hours, and I cannot sleep sitting up. I just can't do it. Can't do it. Just can't be done. Uh, I just came back from Qatar for the World Cup. I can't sleep sitting up. Can't be done. I, I was so delirious with tiredness on the way back from New Zealand that um, 
I leant down on my sort of knees <laughs> and put my face... I rested my face on where my bum was on the seat, or where my bum should have been. And, and so if I'd been, even if I'd been rowing for 18 hours, I just can't sleep sitting up. I can't sleep in cars. I can't sleep on a bus. So now... You, you, know, know, you don't want to be shoving your face where people have been sitting, where bums have been I'd going for the I'd gone lo- mad. <laughs> okay. And I thought to myself, well, it's, it's my bum. It's been my bum for the last 35 hours. Yeah. So that will have masked other people's bums. Well... But, you know, if you're if you're if you're rowing if you're rowing across the north sea to yes. northumberland then i mean that is a that's a fair old stint of physical exercise isn't it well and also there are other things to go with that because um you weren't even breathing in fresh air and enjoying that it the place stunk the, these ships were clinker built which were where they use overlapping wood to link the ships together and the gaps between the pieces of wood were then filled with tar and animal hair, and they were <laughs> constantly having to put new tar down to basically keep it seaworthy. So you always had tar on you. You were always really sticky, and yeah. the place stunk of tar. Rubbish. Also, if people wanted to go to the toilet, they would go to the toilet over the side of the ship. So you, you, you'd oh shove your, your ass over the side, and then you'd, you'd do your business on the top of a passing blue whale or whatever. I wouldn't uh, be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny as well, isn't it? Because if you're in a job you hate, that is a slog, you will disappear off to the toilet to kill 20 minutes. But on a Viking longship, you can't even do that because you're on full display and it's probably the most dangerous Would part you do of your that? day. I could see myself holding it in, just going, I'm going to try yeah, and yeah, see yeah, if I can make green light. For six months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then doing um, one, yeah, when I hit, I'm hitting the ceiling. Doing a big one. Once <laughs> <laughs> I got to Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> Turning myself inside out. Would would you would you would you have the confidence to, to sort of like to stick your your behind over the side of a, a boat in front of your work colleagues? We imagine now in, the, in this podcast record, I, I I can see you on the screen if you just continue talking and drop your trousers and went to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what though? I think people were shitting al fresco. Far until far more recently than you'd think. Have you seen the Peter Jackson documentary They Shall Not Grow Old? No. Yes, yeah. There's the bit where there's four the or five Tommies yes. and they're all just taking a shit next to each other and sort of waving at the camera. Yeah. yeah. You know, not not my scene. Personally. My Irish my Irish granddad, who born in the twenty nineteen twenties, so this would have been in the kind of nineteen forties in Ireland, he didn't have a toilet in the house. None of them had a toilet. They would they would go do their business in a field. Just they just walk out the door, yeah. They just do- wow, that so it's not that it really isn't even that long ago. The I mean, you say about the the splashing being a problem that sort of stuff, but that's interestingly the Vikings invented the B day after seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know why I'm I was so naive about this. I knew that life on board a pirate ship would be hard. I knew deep down that life on board a long ship would be hard. You've made it sound worse than I'd imagined. <laughs> Has it put you off the idea? It's given me a newfound respect for the Vikings. <laughs> because they actually, a lot of this stuff has been drawn from uh, contemporary rebuildings of these boats and they've gone off on missions to see what they would have done. So obviously, a lot of this isn't, isn't written history. It's, they've, they've had to draw conclusions from... So this will be uh, a historian who will have stuck his uh, behind over the back of a boat... <laughs> at least two years ago 
going past a P&O ferry and giving him a nod. It's like... Yeah. With a team of like people in white coats and clipboards going, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, he's, definitely, he's definitely shitting there. Next to an oiled rig. <laughs> but for me, actually, the discomfort and the stench isn't the worst bit. The worst bit is at that point is the navigational aspects because at that point there were such sort of poor navigational aids it was like really hard to hit your destination <laughs> so like like an easy jet airport you'd be sort of quite some way away from where you actually need to be so there's loads of tales of ships just going off course and then sort of sailing across the atlantic and then them they either the ship sinks or they just starve basically oh it's horrendous oh, that's, um, the, wow. that's the aspect of seafaring that prangs me out the most especially in this age is where yeah. you're setting off for somewhere and it's like we don't even know if we're in the right direction we don't even yeah. know really like is it going to be a if, week is it a month or are we never going to get to where we're trying that, to get to that absolutely is something i cannot get my head around the intrepid <laughs> nature of people just getting in a boat that's covered in animal fat and tar and thinking, oh well, fingers, well, I'll probably never see you again. <laughs> Firm and, handshake with your wife. Yeah, like, I, I own a car and I, I filled it up last night and if I just got in the car and just kept driving, yeah. I would probably at some point end up in, like, Leeds. I reckon I could get to Leeds on a full tank. Yeah. And then I'd be in Leeds. And then I would fill up and I would drive home. And I would say to Izzy, sorry, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like a really good idea when I said it on the podcast. Yeah. And I don't really understand. <laughs> sorry. sorry. Um, and, yeah, it's the ability... I suppose you were putting your fate into God's hands. Yes, absolutely. Well, and, and in, in line with that, it's all the more straggling when you think about the relationships the relationship, sorry, that the Vikings had with the sea, that a lot of Scandinavian belief there was that there was this huge serpent at that time that wrapped itself around the earth and was under the sea. So it That's had a real putting. fear of the sea as well. So it wasn't like our relationship with the sea is a place you go swimming and just have fun or whatever. This was a place that was the home to this horrendous beast that could destroy you at any point. So not only were they choosing to go out not knowing where they're going, they were going across the home of this thing that they thought would, could annihilate them. So they were taking the piss. They were taking the <laughs> Things can't be good at home if you're choosing yeah. that as an option. If you're choosing to take the piss out of a, 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 a global serpent. <laughs> wow. So there were some navigational aids that we had. A, a couple of ones that stuck out. Um, tell me how reassuring you'd find these. One was um, a thing called a plumb bob, which they would drop to the bottom of the ocean. It was like a little weight on a string to see how deep the... Uh, ocean bed was and it would also bring up some of the silt from the ocean bed and then apparently they feel that um, experienced captains could then taste that ocean bed and tell whether there was fresh water coming into it and whether they were close to land so they could oh, taste the base that is, the bed of the like, ocean that is the bollocks. classic man at the pub yeah, the yeah. Bloke <laughs> in the, in the I can taste a seabed and yeah. tell you where the li- yeah, you, shut up you, you have a sip of your uh you have a sip of your Australia and you say to yourself, yeah, they've just cleaned the lines. <laughs> yeah, that's what that is. Do you think that's the first step on the, Are those the people that became sort of wine connoisseurs? Like, you know, these unbearable people you see at a dinner party who claim they can taste the forest when it's sort of, you know, from a wolf blast. <laughs> um, and the other thing they had was they would take uh, a non-migratory bird with them on board. Uh, any guesses why that might have been? So they could fly up and then they would head to the land. Damn right. So if it flew Come to land, on. they'd follow it. If it came back to the boat, 
then they weren't near land. But I don't know what Clever that tells that, you. If it, if, it, if it comes back to the boat, you just go, oh, we're not near land. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's it's like, I haven't got anything else to add. a really shit sat-nav. Yeah. yeah. That is quite clever, though. I'll tell you where you are if you are within 500 metres of actually being yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the, the final thing, of course, at the end of a Viking, it shows you how sort of in touch and how important their life on their boats were, uh, were for them, that uh, the high-ranking Vikings would be laid on their vessels with their grave goods. Their grave goods is after they died, which are items they need in the afterlife. You'd be shoved out into the sea and they'd set fire, basically, to it. Um, and you just see all your... Your belongings go up. Be, I always thought that must be a bit heartbreaking if you were sort of waiting for your inheritance and you're on the yeah. side seeing your if you've been grandma's re- stuff go up and sh- go up in flames. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happened. But but an, another interesting thing I found on this briefly, uh, part of your funeral, which I, th- I thought was quite interesting, a third of everything you owned, um, all of all your wealth would go on booze for the funeral. There you go. That's quite that. good. Wow. You know, I've, always, I've always thought the. F- Vikings nailed the funeral. How much better would a funeral be if you went there and, like, your mate or wherever it is, grandma, just goes up in a massive towering inferno? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, on a, usually on a beach, in my mind's eye, it's on a beach with all their stuff. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, one, the, oh, they've bought also, they put 100 grand behind the bar tonight. <laughs> What, what really interested me is like we touched on there journeys that begin and you just don't know where you're going and, and, and specifically yeah. in the animal kingdom one thing that I've always stuck in my mind was that the Galapagos Islands and their famous turtles that they, they believe those turtles arrived two to three million years ago having travelled 600 miles on the South American coast on vegetation rafts wow they think they just blew out there and they're a similar model for Madagascar as well they think the mammals that are in Madagascar got there aboard natural rafts so two Madagascar would have been a 270 mile ge- ocean voyage taking about three weeks and I mean who knows how long and where they came from for the, for the Galapagos as well before we end this episode though I just want to briefly tell you about a famous story a guy called Purse uh, Blackborough and he was a story on Ernest Shackleton's uh, ill-fated imperial transantarctic um, expedition of 1914 to 1917. So he wanted to go on um, Shackleton's ship Endurance, which is en route to the Antarctic. But Black- Blackborough wasn't—he wasn't hired, right? He was—he was 18, and Shackleton thought you're too young and you haven't got enough experience. So um, he sneaked aboard and he hid in a locker amongst piles of clothing, right? Now, at which point they discover him and they're angry because they've got a stowaway. He's a young kid, he's 18. They're like, bloody hell, this is already difficult enough, but now we've got to look after, we've got to look after this, this, you know, this child, effectively, who's 18 years of age. So uh, Shackleton said, you do know that on these expeditions, we often get very hungry, and if there's a stowaway available, he is the first to be eaten. To which Blackborough replied, they'd get a lot more meat off you, sir. Which is a, a big call, I think. Like, it's a real shit or bust move, isn't it? Had he been comparing the clubs up at that point? <laughs> he was a very capable sort of circuit compare. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So Shackleton grinned and was like, "All right then, let's let him on." So he's um, he's on the endurance snow, and they go into the Antarctic, 
And he's doing quite well, and they're all very fond of him. He's always looking after the ship's cat, Mrs. Chippy. Um, <laughs> but the endurance sank, um, at which point they salvaged what they could. But obviously, because he's, he, he's a stowaway, he's taken the wrong sort of boots. He's basically, right. he's basically gone in trainers because <laughs> his feet were exposed to the, to the really cold waters of the Antarctic Ocean. He developed severe frostbite. And this is the bit. I just find it incredible. So everyone is ill, and everyone's in poor health, oh, poor spirits. Man. But he's contracted gangrene, Perse Blackburn, due to his frostbite. So there's a surgeon on board, a guy called Alexander Macklin, and Blackburn was his greatest medical concern. So they're like, OK, what are we going to have to do? Oh, God. Now, he's been away for a month, at which point the surgeon... And the surgeon carries out an amputation on Blackbro's left foot using chloroform for anaesthesia. Oh, this is God. this is how he described uh, the operation. Blackbro had all the toes of his left foot taken off, quarter-inch stumps being left. The poor beggar behaved splendidly, and it went without a hitch. Time from oh, start yeah. to finish, 55 minutes. When Blackbro came round, he was cheerful as anything and started joking directly. <laughs> <laughs> People in the past are so hard, aren't they? So Especially hard. this this era. The hardest people are at sea. They are hard. Right, shall we <laughs> shall we decide uh, who would fare better at a life at sea? I think that seems to be the conclu- sort of the conclusion from all of this. If we, if our listeners can take one thing from it, and I, I hope they do, it's it's who we think would fare better at life at sea. I'm going to count myself out of the running because of my profound fear of sharks. This sea serpent thing the Vikings were panicked by and um, the, the propensity with which ships seem to sink, I just th- I think it would be an issue for me. So I, I absolutely, I think I'm, I'm out of the running, to be honest. I quite enjoy physical exercise. Okay. I quite enjoy rowing. The thing Ooh. that would really hold me back... Is How much that, rowing have you done? Is that I mean at the gym for twenty five to thirty minutes at a time on in a, a gym. Sort of, on a, in a gym. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> so I, I'm seventeen hours thirty five minutes away from my eighteen hour stint. <laughs> the thing yeah. that would really hold me back is that I'm I'm quite introverted and I do need time alone. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get that on a long ship. <laughs> so within within a day I'm getting grumpy. Within two days, I'm getting at people. Within three days, I've been thrown overboard. So I'm. How do you think the phrase "I need a bit of me time" would go down on a Viking ship? I'm quite intrigued by that. How would you try and achieve a bit of me time? You've got no chance. Jump over. What are you doing? You've got no chance. Hanging on the back of the boat and being dragged along. So if the introverts are all staying at home in Denmark or Sweden or Norway, that means a long ship would be full of super hard. Vikings were all extroverts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be a bloody nightmare. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you, okay, so Ellis, you can row, uh, but you're an introvert, and I do need in me time. Well, as I've counted myself out, I'm going to decide. I'm going to decide out the two of you who's going to okay. be. Uh, Chris, give me well, a look, well, When I was nine years old, we went on a family holiday to Ireland. We tr- we got there via uh, a boat from Swansea to Ireland, and it was. It was rocky seas. I was about, not, and I didn't understand what seasickness was. And I remember getting to the canteen, buying like a can of Tango, and sitting at the table. And the can of Tango was going from one end to the other. It was that vibe. And then I remember going, I needed something to eat. And I went to get like toast and beans, and the beans were coming out. They were coming out of the. Tra- <laughs> and at that point, I was like, um, I said to my dad, "I'm going to be sick. I'm like, I'm going. I need to throw up." So we went in the toilet, opened the, and it was one of those doors where they kind of they, they lock, they lock, and they, like you've got to step over to get inside. The door opened on this 
toilet. All the cubicles were open. There was vomit filling up every single toilet, oh. blocking up the sink. There was vomit up the walls and on the floor. And then I was sick on the floor. And this is like... I wouldn't describe this as really rough seas. Not like some of the pictures, that some of the, the videos yeah. you see online of really rough seas. And I was all over the place. So the idea that I could have been a sailor, <laughs> a proper, a Viking, and spent any kind of life at sea when I can barely get across the Irish Sea without throwing up everywhere, I think there is no chance I would have been sued. Plus, I hate the sea, the seaweed. It's so overrated, the jellyfish. An away game when you're in the water with the fish. I'm so happy that I don't need to accept this as a, a career. Do you know what? <laughs> First time I was on a ferry, uh, Plymouth to Roscoff. I spewed everywhere. So, yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten about the seasickness. I'm beginning to aspect. feel that none of us, none of us is going to make it as no, I no way. in what that case. The, what are the Vikings going to say to me when I'm 20 minutes in to the trip to Greenland and I'm ch- and I'm throwing up while a guy next to me is trying to have a shit over the side? <laughs> and he's like, you've got 17 and a half hours left, mate. Imagine having a shit 20 minutes in. You could still... You- you can still see land. You got ticket to me, Chris. Why didn't you go? Why didn't you go when we were back on that one? Why did I asked you if you wanted to go before we left? Why didn't you go at the terminal? <laughs> All right, that's it for this week. And we would love your correspondence. Now, Tom and Chris and I decided that we would be absolutely rubbish um, <laughs> in at a life at sea. Just not really for us. However, if uh, you're listening to this podcast and you have worked at sea, maybe you were in the Navy or you worked on a cruise ship or you worked on a ferry, who knows? Uh, maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're a, you're a fisherman or a fisherwoman. Yeah. Um, then contact us on hello at owatertime.com because we'd love to hear your stories. I like very briefly, Alice, that... <laughs> You listing those things will have nudged someone's memory that, oh, yeah, I do do that thing. (laughs) (laughs) You said maybe you work at sea and they've got thought nothing. That's not me. Then you've said fisherman. They go, oh, yeah, I am a fisherman. Oh, yes. Yeah, for 40 years I was a fisherman. (laughs) Well, if if you are on deck and you are listening to this, please do leave us a five-star review. And that's the same for everyone listening because it really does help the show. I can't thank you enough for those who have. And keep doing that because it really helps spread the word. Yeah, and, and every week we'll be getting more and more desperate as we ask for ratings and reviews. So if you want to, if you want to see whether you can get to the stage where we've had enough ratings and reviews, then just keep doing them because we will be getting more desperate. <laughs> will the uh, will the quite polite way I'm asking at the moment will that change? <laughs> here's, yeah, here's a nautical term. What Ellis has just said is a shot across the bow. Very nice, Chris. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us, Thank guys, you. and we'll see you next week for more history fun. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.